today in our culture, there's a lot of talk about free speech and censorship. What exactly constitutes free speech? What does the word disinformation or misinformation mean? And who gets to determine that? These are questions as Christians we need to very, take very seriously. Recently I was reading an article in First Things and the, and the author was talking about how Christianity can be construed as, or the church can be construed as, a free speech movement. Now it's dangerous for us to, to see Christianity in the church in, in, in terms of or in light of certain political categories. But at the same time, this author had a profound point. He says the church understood itself as a community of truth tellers, that they had a gospel, a truth to declare to the world. And because of that, those who do not accept that truth were often hostile to the truth. And he says that essentially we need to expect that as a community of truth tellers, we will run into resistance to those who do not accept the truth, and they will try to silence our ability to speak that truth. And we see this happening, this dynamic, in the early church in the Acts of the Apostles in a very, in a very clear way, in a little bit in today's first reading. Right? The today's first reading, the context is that, is that the disciples had been arrested multiple times, and they're brought before the Sanhedrin again. And it's interesting what the Sanhedrin says again, they're, they're threatening them. It says, we gave you strict orders, did we not, to stop teaching in that name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you want to bring this man's blood upon us. You see, the Jewish authorities were trying to cancel Jesus. They were trying to get his name wiped out, blot out from society. Now, why would they want to do that? And I think most of us would recognize there are all sorts of reasons why people would want Christians to be quiet about Jesus. But the main reason that we see in the scriptures, and perhaps even in real life, is that when Jesus is preached, there's a decision that we need to make. After all, when we are proclaiming Jesus as Lord, he's the king of heaven and earth, and it is in his name only that we have the forgiveness of sins. It is in his name that we can have resurrection from the dead. We have a choice to make when it, when it comes to hearing that gospel. And the people in the world have a choice to make. Either we turn away from our sin and surrender ourselves in faith to the loving God who saves us from sin and death, or we choose to identify ourselves by our sin and we reject the invitation and thereby reject the very one who's challenging me to turn away from my sin. And one of the things that we see over and over again throughout history and in our culture is this dynamic of the human heart. Right? That's, that is when I choose not to turn away from sin, I choose not to have Jesus as the Lord of my life, I tend to get defensive and resistant against him. And this happens all the time. This happens, and when, when this happens, there's a certain kind of social dynamic that happens when Christians are in a culture that is increasingly rejecting the gospel. There's all sorts of pressure being put on us to privatize our faith, to relativize it to us, to kind of rob it of its like, objective truth status. We begin to see kind of sometimes social bullying happening when it comes to us sharing our faith. And then we begin to be isolated and we begin to be kind of mistreated. And, and, and when it gets really bad, 
we are persecuted and we're killed. The truth is, is that this is something that has always been the case. This has always been the case in the history of Christianity. And this always will be the case in the history of Christianity. Remember, we need to to remember what Jesus said in the gospel. He said, if the world hates you, remember it's because it hated me first. And we live in a culture in a world that in which there's a lot of resistance to Jesus and his teachings. In fact, I think there, are, there, there seems to be a, a larger, increasing number of people who seem to resent the fact that Jesus' teachings filled the whole world. Such people are often victims of and have succumbed to all sorts of kind of radical ideologies that are in direct contradiction to what God has revealed to us in Jesus. And we've spoken about some of these ideologies before. Right, this mind-body dualism, which is really the perennial foe of, foe of Christianity, which separates the body and the soul so much that we begin to either worship the body or we hate the body. And in the name of that philosophy, we begin to see all sorts of destructive ideologies happening all the time. This is at the foundation of gender ideologies. This is at the foundation of rationalization and justification of abortion. This ideology causes us us to separate what God has put together with regard to sex and babies. Dividing with a contraceptive mentality, sex has nothing to do with babies. A divorce ideology that, that sometimes happens where marriage has nothing to do with kids or children. And we begin to see all these things kind of flowing out from these bad ideas. We see materialism, which denies the transcendence of man and sees everything in terms of this world, which truncates the view of man and makes him a cog in a big machine. We see cultural Marxism come up and and offer all sorts of false conceptions of justice, which riles us up and causes us to create more injustice. It is in this context that if we as Christians begin to dare to preach Jesus as the savior of the world, as the God of love, as one who gives us a plan for sexuality and marriage, that when we do that, we will often experience all sorts of resistance. You'll experience people question our moral integrity. You'll see people label us as bigots, label us as haters. We might lose our place in social media. We might be threatened with a a lawsuit. We might even lose our jobs. We should not be surprised that in such a culture, a culture which seems to be obsessed with radical autonomy, which is a false conception of freedom, and a culture that is obsessed with a very twisted and degrading view of sex, that we who preach the love of God and his graciousness and his mercy, who invites us in a relationship with us so that we can live with him forever, a God who reveals that sexuality is a gift, right? A gift that is a life-giving and love-giving union between husband and wife, We shouldn't be surprised that if we preach that, we're going to be resisted. And so what is our response in this cultural moment to those who try to silence us, those who want us to be quiet about what God has revealed to us? I want to offer two different ways in which we can respond that are based firmly in today's first reading. The first response is we need to choose to obey God and continue to share the truth in love anyway. Refuse to cave in. Notice the response of the apostles and Peter after the Sanhedrin threatens them. This is what they say. We must obey God rather than men. Right? Having received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, 
having encountered the risen Lord, they were not about to deny him. They were not about to say, you know what, we're done with our mission because we're being threatened. They chose to go on with their mission, being obedient to him, choosing to share the truth in love. Now, it's very important for us to recognize that we need to share the truth in love. And I I hesitate saying this, but I'm kind of sick of Christians who are self-righteous, who are filled with condemnation and hate and accusation, kind of driving everyone else away from the church. So they're giving us a bad name. The gospel is anything but condemnatory or accusatory. It's the best news in the world. And there are people who are so filled with, um, like with hate that it, it gives us a bad name and it causes people to reject Christianity. And so we need to preach the truth in love. We need to have compassion because that's what it's about. At the same time, I think many Christians, in, instead of obeying God and preaching the truth in love, What they begin to do is they downplay the truth of what we believe or they outright deny the truth that we believe in hopes that we might be accepted or the word might be accepted among the people of God. Such a thing to downplay what God reveals to us or to not not hold firm to it or to kind of pull back is precisely the obedience to men that we are not allowed to do. And I think this is important for us to realize. Imagine if Peter after the Sanhedrin threatened them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, imagine if he were to say, what is it that you don't like about what we're preaching? What is it that causes you to be uncomfortable? What is it that offends you? You know, and what we're gonna do, we're gonna take all those things out from our gospel. We're We're gonna just make sure that what we preach just makes everyone feel good. We don't want it in any way to cause you any discomfort to have to maybe change your life. We don't have to talk about conversion. We don't have to talk about anything because this is really what it is. If Peter would have done that, we wouldn't be here today. He would have robbed the gospel, stripped the gospel of its power, and we'd have no salvation. It's a denial of the fundamental aspect. He did not say that. Rather, they preached the truth all the more. You see, this dynamic of trying to empty the gospel of its power and and taking away part of the truth is a dynamic that happens in the church, and it's evil. It's interesting to me, I remember when Father Joe and I came to the parish, we preached on a lot of difficult topics, a lot of difficult topics that we're facing in our culture today. And I think it was the first year we were here, Father Joe preached on the topic of transgenderism. Now, most people don't know that Father Joe did his master's integrating seminar on this topic. He was an expert on this topic. He knew what he was talking about, and it took a lot of courage for a new priest to preach on this. And as he preached on this topic, um, I remember him telling me that a, a guy came up to him after the Mass and yelled at him, how dare you preach on this? You're so filled with hate. You're so insensitive. It's not a coincidence that the same guy actually complained to me and him that we were actually priests who preached too much about Jesus. Guilty as charged. I'm indicted. Like, yeah, we preach too much about Jesus. You can't preach too much about someone who's that good, right? But one of the things I have to be honest is sometimes as a priest, it's somewhat demoralizing to me when we're trying to proclaim what Jesus teaches and what the church teaches and people who profess to believe in Jesus, who are in the church, question our moral integrity 
as if somehow we hate people, as if somehow we want people to suffer. We don't hate people. We don't want people to suffer. We just believe that Jesus Christ is alive and everything he teaches is true. We believe that what we believe that is true is actually the best for people. And we see how it actually resonates with science. And so it's very difficult to have someone question your moral integrity because they have a hard time hearing it. And I know that many of you experience this in your family and in your friends and maybe even some of your coworkers where it's very difficult to hold to what Jesus teaches or to have biblical values. And it's a very difficult culture to live in. We all know people who believe they have a moral superiority over Jesus and they disagree with him. And we can suffer on account of that. So the invitation is to preach the gospel in love anyway when people are trying to tell you to be quiet. Now is not the time to be quiet about the saving love of Jesus. Number two, if people try to silence you in preaching the truth, rejoice that you're one with Jesus in your suffering. It's interesting, in the text it says, after they were threatened, it says, they were ordered to stop speaking in the name of Jesus and they were dismissed. The text does not say, woe to us, like the apostles saying, woe to us, they don't like us. We must have done something wrong. Maybe we should change what we're preaching. No, they didn't say that at all. The text says, so they left the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. They rejoiced because they were worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. So when we experience resistance and pushback, when we try to live according to biblical values, according to what God has revealed to us, what is our response? Do we rejoice? The early church thought it was a badge of honor to suffer with Jesus, to suffer like Jesus. They held that up in high honor, and they rejoiced. Sometimes we look at our response when this happens to us, and sometimes I think we can act like sad victims. We can look in on ourselves and we can lament by not being liked by our friends and our family, not being one with the crowd because we're isolated. And some of us, maybe, maybe the temptation is not to be sad and lamenting and acting like a victim. Some of us, the temptation is just to be angry and to be bitter, to be angry at the world, to be bitter at the world. By the way, angry and bitter Christians have never won over a culture, and they never will. The truth is, is that when we suffer dishonor for sticking up with Jesus and his teachings, we are not victims. We are victorious because we're one with him who has already overcome the world. And we need to understand that we are victorious in him, which leads us to great joy to continue to press in to preach the word that the world needs to hear. My brothers and sisters, if we do not rejoice when we suffer, we give the bad witness to the world about what we believe in. Imagine if the church, after suffering on account of Jesus, were to rejoice. Imagine if all of us were to rejoice when we hold fast to the biblical understanding of marriage and family, of the human person, of salvation in Jesus. I think we'd have a very different church, amen? And we'd have a very different world. You see, the early church could only obey God. It could only persevere in preaching the truth in love and rejoice in suffering because the early Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
They were filled with the risen Jesus. They did not, um, they were not afraid of rejection. They embraced it. And it's that kind of church that has the power to overcome and to win over a culture. And it's that kind of church that we're building here at St. Pat's.